0: morning. <laughs> We're doing things kind of different, aren't we? <laughs> I wasn't ready to be ready, but I am ready. <laughs> but um, but it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, the whole, uh, what we started last week was to start with nothing, an empty slate, and really try to develop appreciation of why we do what we do. But to tell you the truth, the last thing that's important is me telling you why to do what to do than it is. And he just when he said that about the songs and the prayer, he just prayed for me. What we really want to do is show you what they do in the kingdom. This is no different than this is heavenly worship we do on a day-to-day basis. But I wanted to start out, the reason I didn't vest this morning is um, I wanted to do a teaching on why why we do what we do as far as vesting in this uniform we wear. And it literally is a uniform and and it was—it's was really a couple of things. This this kind of interesting that happened, uh, and it all in both of them—was through this critical incident stress management program I took. And it's what this was. I had already started becoming a chaplain with the state troopers, but I wanted to be trained to be able to help people after 9/11 and after the the bombing in Oklahoma City and after the collapse of the the over the uh, highways out on the west coast that. That you needed people to help the first responders to these things. That they would, they would see things that would be horrible. And 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 so what you would help do it was first aid for post traumatic stress disorder. And it was kind of interesting. The first class I took, I it was at um, gosh, Shaco Springs. It's a Baptist camp, I believe it is and there was a hundred twenty five or thirty people training from all areas whether it's uh, nurses or first responders or emts or pastors or doctors whatever And it was interesting about this training that we did that they had psychiatrists that went to new york city that had not had this training and they said their training as a doctor was worth it that without this training the best that the, that the only thing they had to offer somebody was a clean t-shirt or a pair of socks it was a great training, but the second, but I, when I got to that training, I think I was the only one that had on clerics. And the second day, this gentleman, really nice gentleman but I was coming down the steps of this auditorium we were meeting in our classroom, and I saw him looking and talking and looking and talking, and I kind of smiled, and they, they spoke, and I said, first of all, I know what you're talking about." He said, "What's it?" you want to know why I'm dressed like this, don't you? They said, well, yes, we do. I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe the kingdom of God is a real place, a real kingdom? I mean, infinitely more important than Russia, the United States. I mean, a kingdom. They said, yes, we do. I said, do you believe this kingdom has a government? They said, yes, we do. And I said, well, That's what I'm doing. I was ordained a deacon in the Christ One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and this is my uniform. Just like when going into a courtroom and they say "All rise," you expect to see a gentleman walk in with robes on that defines who he is. You don't expect to see a guy in shorts and flip flops and a T-shirt sitting behind them. The same thing when you see an officer, police officer in the middle of the road and stand up there with, with tons and tons of trucks and cars coming in and raises his hand and they stop they stop for that uniform the same guy in flip-flops and a t-shirt probably would have gotten run over when the doctor comes in your room you want to see him in scrubs or a white jacket or something you don't want him in jeans and flip-flops and wanting you to call him by his first name he introduces I'm a doctor and you know what that, that When he introduced himself as a doctor, that's a very comforting sound. He says, hi, I'm Jack, and I'm going to be the one operating on you today. You'd say, I need some clarification. <laughs> well, it's the same thing that I told him. I said, well, I was ordained in the kingdom of God, so when I walk out and my foot hit those steps, y'all looked up and said, that guy works in the go- He's got a government position in the kingdom of God. The guy looked at him and said, well, I like that. And 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 then later on over the next couple of days he kept pulling me aside and of course the next thing he ended up talking to me about was this. Not our not our gospel book, but about the altar, Christ's sacrifice. And so I I went into some detail. That's not what we're talking about today. We will talk about it next week though, but he after explaining to him the Eucharist and to it, he said I knew there was something. He went to Southeastern Bible College or something in Dallas. Or something. He said, I knew there was something in seminary they didn't tell me about that table. <laughs> and literally, progressed. he stuck money in my pockets and asked me to send him some more books and all. But the point I'm trying to make is, is we wear this uniform. This is a uniform that we walk out into the world and they know. I wear my badge. And, 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 uh, and I'm actually, I'm on this little, uh, I guess it would be an evangelical um, website or blog or group, a group on, on Facebook. But I'm sort of like the devil's advocate. You know, I'm never ugly, but I just ask questions once they start stating their position and the other day a guy asked me about he said we were talking about the cross importance of the cross and he says I just don't believe I totally couldn't disagree with you more about having a body of Christ on the cross Christ is risen I said yes but he did die there is no resurrection without a death and he did die and I said, and, and what happens, I said, in the evangelical world, is you don't deal with time and space, you deal with time and space, and heaven never does. The great I am was crucified, is being crucified, and shall be crucified just as well as... He was risen. He is risen, and he's going to be risen. He does. He did heal. He's going to heal. He will be healing. He will. He did save. You're being saved. You shall be saved. I said, there's never a need for the lack of his salvation or for his death. And I said only one thing. Necessary. I said, but if you have a problem with his body being on the cross. Then let me refer to a guy that I know you like being evangelical, is Paul. And Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ daily, but nevertheless I live, but not I, but I live by, by the faith, I live my life by the faith of the Son of God. I said, So would it be okay if you don't like Jesus on there that it's me on there? Because I'm admonished to, to take up my cross daily and to, get, and to die to my worldly desires, my goals, my dreams, and things, that Christ may fully be alive in me. Express himself through my mortal body. I said, is it okay then, then it's, it's me? I mean, if I take Jesus off and put me up, are you better with that? I said, or would you feel better if you know for the fact that Jesus died for our sins, he's paid in full, came off the cross, was buried, resurrected, and everything is paid in full. Would you mind if I just wore this as my receipt? This is I'm just wearing my receipts as paid in full. Said, would that be okay? And the guy wrote, he was really nice, sweet guy. He wrote back, he said, you know, I really do apologize for one, to think that you were trying to be contentious and that I didn't think things through far enough to. He said, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, and, 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 and another story that, that after 9-11, I don't know if you ever heard this in a sermon or a tape or, or, a, or something on that, but Bishop Bates after nine eleven, 11 you know, he just lived across uh, the water, Brooklyn Bridge, and I guess, uh, I forget what the other bridge going into New York is, but he just lived, he saw the flame, I mean, the smoke coming out of the towers from his his home. And he would go to the site there of the world where the World Trade Center had been bombed and he crashed, And and he would not speak to people in particular. I mean, these guys had a job to do, a horrible job. I remember one of our uh, Uh, The social worker on our crisis intervention team actually went to New York and went over to uh, the kilns or something where they were taking all the parts of the building over there little by little. And he would see parts of bodies. The the guy up in the crane would literally have to watch all day and, and see sometimes bodies and parts of bodies on these pieces of metal. And uh, and this girl Sharon met with the guy that drove that, and he was over there. And um, and before you went into the tent to get some food or some relief, you would step in an (laughs) an antiseptic and just wash your shoes off. And he was just talking about, and so she just got him to talk, and that's what you do in a debrief. You just want to you want them to start emptying their emotional trash bag. And she says, he says, well, and she talked to him and she listened. And he said he appreciated it. And then he walked a certain distance from her and he looked back. And he says, but what am I going to do with these shoes when I get home? And, and basically, what am I going to do with this, what's tearing me up on the inside when I get home as well? Well, that's part of the, re- and, and that's what Bishop Bates said. He says, one thing about these guys me working and everything about being in ministry isn't run in your mouth all the time. That's what, was it, uh. St. Francis would preach always, but only when necessary use words. Mm -hmm. He said, but what I wanted these firemen and policemen and uh, laborers helping to deal with this devastation was when they turned around and they saw that collar, they know the church is still here. And if you kill me, there's going to be a guy dressed just like me, standing in my place. And when you kill him, there's going to be another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And another one. That's why we wear this. We go out into the world. It's an evangelical situation. Try, if you don't want to be talked to on a plane, don't wear this, because somebody's going to start asking you questions. Just go and wear your civilian clothes, get your sunglasses, and read a book. And, and, and I... Now, this was kind of frustrating. I ought to turn the tape off on this. But um, when I was flying to meet Bishop Jones uh, in, uh, let's see, Nairobi, I was getting on a plane. It had been a long, long day, and I was looking for something cold to drink that possibly could be fairly relaxing, too, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And I got on the plane, I sat down, and there was a lady from Africa, an African lady that had been living in Norway, and she was on her way home. And the first thing she says when I sit by her, I oh, praise the Lord. He told me this morning somebody special was going to sit by me. <laughs> and, we went, and so when the cart comes by, I said, she said, can I get you something? I said, yes, I would like this particular drink about as long as my arm, if you've got one. But what I'm going to actually get is, could you bring me a Coke, please? Because <laughs> I just couldn't. She was a fairly new believer. And I just, you know, that's where we die to ourselves. It's just a small thing. I, I could not, even though it's a six or seven hour more flight, I could not live with confusing her. You know? And, and so that's where I have to give up my prayer. You know, Paul says, I'll not eat if it's going to be offensive. I'll not drink. When, and, that's, and that's another. But it was because I was wearing my uniform and she got a real blessing out of it and before it's over i got a blessing too because man when i got to airports, people were putting me in the front of the line trying to get me places to sleep like uh, one of the guys working there at the in tibby we were in tibby airport he says i'm gonna try to get you in a lounge where you can sleep and he went up there and it was like you know like the delta crown room that when i talk about lounge and, and they were closing at 11 or 11 30 whatever it was or midnight he says, I'm sorry I'm not going to get you a place to sleep, but give me your tickets. And I went like, I, I, and, your, and your passport. I said, I, no, I don't know. believe it." He, he just looked me in the eyes. And I don't know why. He just said, trust me. And I did. Well, I sleep on a bench all night. He walks back in the next morning, hands him my boarding pass. My luggage is already checked, my passport. And I, and I said, well, can I buy you breakfast? Can I do something for you? He said, well, I'll go have breakfast with you, but I'm not very hungry. He said, and at the end of the breakfast, he said, I really didn't want anything for you except w- would you bless me before you leave? That's because I'm wearing this. Okay. Bishop Adler said when he started the church uh, out in California, and he started wearing this, and he started calling him Father instead of Randy. Hey, Rand. You can marry Hey, man. And he said, but, it, but something changed over the next two, three, four, six months. That all of a sudden being called father, dressing like this, and not like a car salesman or whatever, whatever secular job you happen to have, that all of a sudden I started feeling like a father. Instead of parishioners that I needed to corral and keep their behavior right, I started seeing my children, spiritual children, and they started seeing me as a spiritual father. And guess what? The next thing that really dropped off tremendously: talking behind your back. It's a little hard about harder to stab, stab your father and mother in the back than it is ran preaching in a just a, a secular and in, in just civilian clothes. And so those are all the part of the effects of wearing these clerics and. Literally, I really ought to offer more. One thing, I, I just need to repent of sins. We have an abortion claim. It's just a few blocks down there. Why can't I put a piece of tape across my mouth and write life on it and send across the street and not say nothing in this letting people know there's an option that they don't have to cure their child? It's just spiritual laziness. And there are some that are faithful to do it. So this is the, this is the reason that we wear this. And then the last story I'll tell you talking about that same critical instance stress management. I read a, a, a book written by a chaplain, a, a Baptist minister, that's a chaplain in this critical instance stress management. So when something happens he's, he's, he and his team are ready to go just like ours were. And, he, and a girl came up to him one day and he had on a hard hat with a cross now this is a Baptist ministry. He says, "But I like to wear a collar when I go to these scenes." And a girl came up to him, and she came to. She said, "I don't want anything to do with your God. If, if your God was here, where was He the, the day the planes flew into the thing?" He says, "So you believe there's a God?" She said, "Yes, that can do anything." Yes, I said then do you believe that 3,000 people could die and it not hurt even a little bit? And she just broke into tears. She was trying to unload her emotional trash bag. But then the very next thing he says, and that's why I wear my helmet with a cross on it and a collar, because signs and symbols say everything. And I said, well, if it works in, in Oklahoma City, why wouldn't it work Sunday morning in your church? He said he couldn't have spoke a bigger truth. Signs and symbols tell you everything. So that's why, that's why we wear this. That's the very reason we wear this. We work in the kingdom of God. And don't doubt it means anything. In the kingdom of God, you are not our subjects. You don't have to worry about us taxing you unfairly. Not voting the way you want to do. We are servants. Do You understand? You own us. And you did not even have to vote for us. We don't own you. Now, we are responsible for some spiritual guidance in your life and to help you still. But we, I remember Rich Reynolds, one day. he says, "Deacon Steve, could I ask you a favor? And I said, well, yeah, but why are you talking to me in that tone of voice? I said, who you think working for here. just tell me what you need and if it's any way possible, I'm required and responsible to do it for you. I said, so that's one thing I want you to, y'all, please to understand. We're your servants thank you for thanking us quite often. But we're your servants. And you know what? This is our assignment. We're not doing any favors in particular. We were, God assigned us to here through the bishop. Now this may just be a small military base for this portion of the army. But we may be very specialized. We may be SEAL Team 6 for all we know in the kingdom of God. And we don't do things in, the, in Satan's life that no one else could do in big volume. And we're also not going to be here, and we're not going to wear street clothes. We're going to sit here, and we may get worse. We may start wearing cassocks. We may start growing our beards out long. We may, we may want to look totally the rest of the world so that we assure you, and I'm the guiltiest of all of you. I'll just tell you that right now, that of me letting this culture, this world, try to make me look like the kind of Christian I am today instead of me just saying, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you talk about. The church is not changing. And when you're wounded and you're sick and you're hurting and you need something, here's the hospital. And this is the way, this, this is our, our clerics or our scrubs. We're here to give you healing and wholeness. That's why we wear this. Okay? Now, moving on to our service, the reason I didn't dress is why do we wear what we wear in a service? Well, first of all, Well, you don't have to. You can if you want to. Revelations 6. Let me look here. Let's start at verse uh, 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. We would call them martyrs, of course. And of the testimony which they held, and they cried out in a loud voice saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then, listen to this. A white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellowship and servants and brethren who would be killed were complete. Uh, Over in uh, the seventh chapter, basically I'm repeating the same things. It says here in verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And I said to him, "Sir, you know." And so he said to me, "These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and were white and and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne do- will dwell among them. So that's what we do. And you and and, and the elders." The 24 elders in, in heaven. They're all dressed in white. White robes. So that's why the first thing we do is we want this place to look like heaven and also... Will this still work with a cloth over it? Probably. We want to cover the man. Do you understand these, these clerics I just talked to you about? That's outside liturgical worship clothing. That's, that's not liturgical dress. This is. This is our uniform day-to-day out doing work out in the, in the world clothes. So we put this and we cover the man. Now you don't know if I'm, if I'm as rich as Donald Trump or as poor as Steve this is Because we all look alike, just like our military uniforms, we all look alike. We're one body. We're all dressed alike, and this white that we cover represents the purity of Christ Himself. We're clothed with Christ, are we not? Well, they are in heaven. The next thing we have, and you say, Father, would you stand up, Father? And you see, he 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 tied his censure so his stole would hang in these two little pockets that he created, but but he. You can have a seat. Thank you. And this is part of the reason that we talk about being crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, we live that. Uh, Here's kind of where this came from. Do you remember when, uh, I guess it was in John, maybe around when the disciples were saying, you know, James and John's mother said, Can, can my boy sit on your right hand and left? And then Jesus comes back and he talks about the the, the disciple that Jesus loved by that very humble person, St. John, who always called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, what presumption is that? But the thing was, he knew the truth. He knew who he was in Christ. And so, God was telling him what he was going to do and and that he would never die. And and Peter was kind of complaining. And Peter said, well, why does he get to live? And when I read you, you'll understand why he got put out. Why does he get to live? And this get this prophetic word? If you were in southern Alabama, why does his why does his word so much fun? He gets to live, and Jesus looked at him and said, "What's that to you?" Because here's the word he just given Peter: "Verily, verily, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted." But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you will, do not want to go. Um, let's see if it's out. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. But what he was telling to is, is you went where you wanted to, now they're going to tie you up. And if Father put his arms in those little holes right there and pulled it a little tighter, he would be bound. But who is he? He's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He willingly became his slave and his bondservant. And so we wear the censure to, to show that we're tied with Christ. Father wears the stole. At one time, and, it was, and it's not designed after Jewish worship. I mean they definitely dressed to the nines in Jewish, Judean worship. But this is more of the Judean, Greco-Judean, or Rome Greco-Roman dress, and they used to, and you'll see Father Bill McLaughlin still does it, takes their stole and he'll cross it, just like a Roman soldier did. And one side would be his weapon, a sword, the other side would be a bag, like his provisions, like his duffel bag, where if he needed to take some food or water. And so they, they cross their stoves like that for a season and after a while the church changer where they just drop straight down. And what this is 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 a symbol also of of Father being yoked to Christ. He puts it on and and, and if you've ever watched movies where guys in, and I, I was watching an Orthodox guy teach on this, so I don't think I know all this all by myself. But he was talking about to carry water, they would put like a yoke on there. And if they had a bucket at this end, they could carry twice as much water by being yoked than they could if they could have just carried it with their own two hands. Because he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that's, what, that's part of it. It's, he's yoked to Christ. In, in other words, he's yoked into where he participates in Christ's ministry. Where's Christ? Seated on the right hand of the Father. Where's Father Ronnie? Northport, Alabama standing in persona Christi in, in, in the person of Christ, but he's not Christ. Never will be Christ. There's not a deific bone in his body, but he does have a deitific person living in him called Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit. So don't think we're getting called, we say in persona Christi that you're trying to elevate yourself as being something that special. Because he knows that even when you're confessing sins to him, you're confessing to Jesus. He's not even a mediator. He is there to listen so there can be an audible voice of what Jesus would have said to you if he were on earth with an audible voice. And I won't, and he would probably say it kind of like the deacon say it. He says, I absolve your sins. But he just as easily could have said, I can absolve no sins. But what I am ordained to do is sit here and say, I promise you that whatever you ask the Lord Jesus Christ just now to forgive you, you are cleaned and washed and you can walk out of here white as snow. You're a virgin again. That's all he's there for. It's not about do you need to tell me. It doesn't mean that you can't get At the end of the day if you did something crummy you couldn't get on your knees. In your bedroom and ask Jesus to forgive you and be forgiven. This isn't some kind of trick thing like this is the only way. But I'm just saying that God knew a better way and he wanted you to hear that audible voice. And so if you notice, when I put up my you're on, I'm a deacon. I pull mine to the side and, and I put on a stole that crosses my chest. His is is a yoke. Mine is more... You know, if you're looking at the picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is always the deacon. God's the bishop. The the Holy Spirit's the chaplain. Jesus is the deacon. And hence, if you'll notice you got to look at this through two sets of eyes. I am to protect my bishop. This very well could be a place where I hit a weapon, that if somebody attacked my bishop, i give my life for him before he has to give his for Christ. That's the way it worked. Or I could get down to my gym shorts right this minute, and this not be a weapon. And I pull this towel off of my belt, and I wash Aliyah's feet this is what this is what this means we are your servants okay now uh, we'll go through we won't belabor but we'll go through the seasons if you notice we're wearing purple now this is the season of Lent it's a penitential season but also purple is a royal color our king is fixed to go to the cross for us he spent forty days in the wilderness before being—I mean, after being baptized. We're to take that same forty days, and I don't know why particularly we have to walk around bragging about what we give up for Lent. What you're supposed to do is be having a, a lifestyle change <coughs> over forty days. They so said if you do anything for thirty days, you'll form a new habit, right? Well, we're trying to form new habits that are more godliness, holiness. Uh, to be be uh, more to conform ourselves, be more in his likeness with his help, of course, and so we are also starting to grieve this is a melancholy color because Christ is having to die for us, also earlier in the year, Advent, which is another penitential, call it a penitential season, we can wear the blue, or there again you 're not wrong wearing purple, but you might be. If you've got the money to do it, you might be more in a fuchsia, more of a a red-blue, a celebratory color that's not so grieving. But it is a penitential time because we know Christ the King is fixed to be born and become incarnate by the Virgin Mary. And it's a time that we celebrate that. The next thing we do is is you've got um, red, which is the color of blood, number one. And you could wear it on the feast day of a martyr. And, uh, but also, it's the color of fire. And we wear this at ordinations because we want the fire of the Holy Spirit to fill this person. We wear it during Pentecost because the fire of the Holy Spirit is our Pentecost. And we'll talk about this a little bit next week. But also this is after you are baptized, we use chrism oil and we mark you as Christ's own child. But it's not oil, but it is oil, but it's not oil, but it is oil, but it's not oil, but it is oil. It's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Don't be confused. We don't ask him to come do something because we put oil in the head. We expect the Holy Spirit to have entered you at that moment. And you might as well have your own, instead of oil on your head, you put your own little flame on your head. Because you were just filled with the very life of Christ. You are a new creature. Now get prepared of the misery of being conformed to his likeness. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Okay, that's the red. Uh, what, what, what else do you, oh, White. We always wear white on feast days, we wear it on Easter, we wear it at weddings, we wear it at funerals, we wear it uh, on Easter. And this is always talking about the purity, the glory of Christ. You could just as well a bishop could wear gold. This is a glorious time, it's a glorious color. It's, it's, it's the brightness and, and freshness of a pure God that's serving you. But it's also more about his resurrection. Every time you're in white, it's about your resurrection. Matter of fact, there's not a service that we do in church that isn't about his death, burial, and resurrection, including your weddings. <laughs> you know, we celebrate our King. You know? And so you wear white on those days. And lastly, we'll deal with the color green. We wear it after the season of Epiphany, and we wear it after Pentecost. And it's the color that we wear wear most of the year. And basically what this symbolizes is ordinary time is focused on the Lord's three-year public ministry, his teaching, his miracles, and a reminder that the mission of the church is to share the hope and the life of Christ to the world. Uh, Father has a chasuble that he wears and every, uh, back in the early church, Everything had a practical meaning and a spiritual meaning. The practical meaning is it keeps you warm, keeps you dry. It's pretty chilly and drafty. I don't know if you've traveled in Europe, but it's pretty drafty in those old castles and those churches. So they wore something. Then later on, they started sewing the symbols on, Christian symbols on. But it also is, is we're supposed to be clothed with Christ. And literally, when you see him put that on before the Eucharist, he's being clothed not only with Christ, but even more importantly, He's being clothed with the love of Christ, and he's covered with the love of Christ. And that's what he brings to you and to me and to the world. That's what that's for. I wear a Dalmatic, which if I'm just standing there, you think I have on a child's will too. But I've got sleeves, and the reason I have sleeves mostly isn't particularly spiritual. It's more natural is I just don't, when I'm serving the table, I just don't want to get stuff all over my house. (laughs) It gives you you a little room to work, you know. And it also, you know, you wear the seasonal colors, and it also is the garb of a spiritual servant. There again, I am your servant. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm ordained to do. I'm ordained to be a really good servant. But Brian's back. And, and, uh, (laughs) And then there's those really righteous people that don't have to have any of this on and does it anyway. But anyway, but, but that's what I wanted to, to talk to you about today. Next week, I really want to do a real, really good study, both the, the Eucharist of where it started in Christ, the history of it, why we do it, and why... It, I hope when we're through, I hope you're brokenhearted for anybody that goes to church that doesn't do it. I mean, doesn't mean that they're not Christian. But he said, if you don't eat my body and my blood, you have no life in you. We want our Christian brothers to have life in them, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.